The poor people of Loreto in Baja California have been hit hard by the COVID-19 virus shutdown, and they need food. Friendship with God is delivering food directly to their homes. Go to www.friendshipwithgod.org and look for the Loreto Need banner to donate or call 619-599-1104. God bless you. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. The title of the message is something that sounds outrageous. Save the world. Save the world by saving Israel's remnant. We just talked about the world. We just sang about the world. We sang about from Greenland to India to Ceylon and about the heathen bowing down to wooden stone and in vain offering up their gifts to idols. That's the world. The message tonight is gonna build on, and this is only the first part of it, and you're not gonna see the whole of it of how to save the world by saving Israel's remnant, so if you can tolerate me, come back next week again for part two. But, maybe part three, who knows. But anyway, uh, but, it, but it, this, is what, this is what we're really talking about. The world, and that's where the scripture, our key scripture starts tonight. Please follow along, Zechariah 8.22. Zechariah 8.22, we are talking about in Zechariah 8.22 from Greenland's icy mountains to Indian and Ceylon and all, all the world when it says in Zechariah 8.22, yea, many people, there it be, many people, Zechariah 8.22, many people and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts of, in Jerusalem and to pray before the Lord. This is the world, this is the world, verse 23. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I'm not supposed to preach in between with the scripture, I'm sorry. <laughs> Verse 23, thus saith the Lord of hosts, in those days it shall come to pass that 10 men shall take hold out of all languages of the nations. I'm not supposed to, that's the world again, there it is. Even shall take hold of the skirt of him that is a Jew, saying, we will go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. We started last week, we talked about the I Stand With Israel. Just wanna kind of review that because that's really also a backdrop of where we're going here. And if I were to ask you as, as Bible believers now to tell me, why is Israel important? Why is Israel so important? As believers, we say Israel's important, Israel's important. The U.S. Embassy moves to Jerusalem, it recognizes Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. Israel's important, Israel's important. 
Israel's important to the church. I can tell you, the Jews don't think that they're important to the church, but it is important. So we ask the question, it's a good question. If I was to ask you now, tell me, why is Israel so special? Why is Israel so special? What would you say? What would you say? Well, most Bible believers would answer that question by saying, Israel is special because they are God's people. That's true. That's true, Israel is God's people. And the most Bible believers would say that, that's right. But how about if I were to ask you another question, another question, and it would be like this. How is Israel important for the world? How is Israel important for, for Greenland's icy mountain from India and Ceylon? Or maybe I should ask you a more basic question first. Is Israel important for the world? What would you say if I were to ask the question, why do we do Jewish evangelism. Why do this? Why is Jewish evangelism important today? You have the prayer maps here. Obviously, a lot of effort is going into to sending people all over America and, and Argentina and Israel and Canada, and, and if we could, we would be in India and, and every other kind of place there. Why do that? Why is evangelism so important of the Jewish people? I'm not talking about sending the missionaries out to, 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 to the Gentiles. We're talking about sending the missionaries out to the Jewish people. Why do that? Why not just forget about Jewish evangelism and go as the Spies, a couple from a long time ago, we sent them out from the Mission Valley Community Chapel to the pygmies in Africa. And they went to the pygmies in Africa. Fortunately, they were kind of short people themselves, so they fit in well. But <laughs> they went there and they had never heard the gospel before and they labored and labored and labored and they formed a church and there was a great response among the pygmies of Africa and they loved to play jokes. I remember one time he brought back this movie where the pygmies had, had killed this big elephant and, and, and the pygmies had, had gutted it and then they crawled inside the elephant. <laughs> sewed it back up, and they had the spees come there, and all of a sudden they burst out and came out of the elephant, you know. But that has nothing to do with anything. Forget about that, I'm sorry. I just got kind of worked up about the pygmies. But, I'm sorry, why not forget about Jewish evangelism and go to the pygmies in Africa? You get so many more results, like the spees did. Why do you do Jewish evangelism when it is so unproductive? Even the Jews comment on how Jewish evangelism is so unproductive. You know, during the, 19, during the 2016 uh, Summer Blitz campaign, we're now on uh, number eight here, so it's, it's easy to remember, 2018's the eighth, number six was 2016. We did the, uh, the, and that campaign included Long Island, New York, Long Island, New York. And a Jewish newspaper there, a paper called the Long Island Herald, wrote in their paper, about Israel Restoration Ministries. They wrote in that. And here's what they wrote. I'm quoting now from the paper. Gavriel Sanders, a member of the White Shul, the synagogue, in Far Rockaway, Rockaway, and a Hebrew school teacher, has written extensively on Christian missionaries seeking converts in Jewish communities. The Orthodox Synagogue sent an email message to its members written by Sanders recommending that they not speak to the missionaries, Israel Restoration, refuse their literature and discard any packets that they leave. More than 300,000 Jews in North America are living in some form of as a Christian, according to the group 
Jews for Jesus, Sanders said, that despite that number, the conversion rate of these groups, especially Cantor's organization, in the five towns and far Rockaway is a dismal failure. Whoa. From the Orthodox Synagogue in Long Island, New York, Gabriel Sanders has said that the conversion rate of Cantor's Israel Restoration Ministries is a dismal failure. A dismal failure. A dismal failure is how the Jews see the conversion rate from Jews. A dismal failure. Our conversion rate is not just a failure, it's a dismal failure. Now, when I hear that, I don't just feel depressed, I feel dismally depressed. <laughs> you know, because there's a ring of truth in what he's saying. And there was one prophet in the Old Testament who God gave a special preparation to as he called him to go to the Jewish people, and that prophet was the prophet Ezekiel. And here's what God told Ezekiel when God sent Ezekiel to the Jewish people, Ezekiel chapter one, verse 28, Ezekiel 1, 28, God said, this is the account here. First of all, Ezekiel says, there was an appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord, and when I saw it, I fell upon my face, and I heard a voice of one that spake. So first, I'm gonna stop here again. All right, first, Ezekiel gets the closest he has ever been to God. He is the closest now he's ever been to God. He sees the glory of God. He falls on his face and he hears God who's gonna speak to him. When anyone gets close to God, and what he's gonna hear, he's gonna hear his call to Israel. And when anyone gets close to God, really close to God, as Paul did, the closest that Paul got to God was Romans chapter eight. Romans chapter eight is where there is there's more uh, references to the spirit of God. I think there's 14 in that one chapter than any other chapter in the book of Romans. He is so close to God, you say, nothing can separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, how he ends it. He is so close to God. And when being so close to God in Romans chapter eight, uh, uh, what happens is that he hears in Romans 9, 10, and 11, God's call for him to go to Israel, to the Jewish people. After Ezekiel has gotten really, really close to God, Ezekiel hears in, in Ezekiel chapter two, verse three, Ezekiel chapter, chapter two, verse three, what God said. He said unto me, son of man, I send thee to the children of Israel, to a rebellious nation that hath rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me, even unto this very day. They are an impudent children, stiff-hearted. I, I do send thee unto them. Thanks a lot. What a calling. And thou shalt say unto them, well, that's not in the scripture, by the way, I added that. And thou shalt say unto them, thus saith the Lord God. So Ezekiel, he's very close to God, and, is, and God tells Ezekiel, I'm sending you now to the children of Israel. And then God tells Ezekiel that I'm sending you to a people who is rebellious, hard-hearted, they're stubborn. Ezekiel, like I said, he must have said to him, said, you're sending me to a people that's rebellious, hard-hearted, and stubborn people? Sounds like a great calling to me. And then he goes on in, in chapter five, in chapter three, verse five, Ezekiel three, verse five, Ezekiel three, five. And God clarifies it, who he's sending him to. He says, for thou art not sent to a people of a strange speech, not Hebrew, 
and of a hard language, but to the house of Israel. Not to many people of a strange speech and of a hard language whose words thou canst not understand, like the pygmies, spees going to the pygmies. Surely, had I sent thee to them, they would have hearkened unto thee. But the house of Israel will not hearken unto thee, for they will not hearken unto me. You know what God's saying here? Welcome to the boat. For all the house of Israel are impudent and hard-hearted. Then, then what happened is that God promised Ezekiel from this passage here, God, God says, I'm making a promise to you, Ezekiel. They're not gonna listen to you. Israel promised Ezekiel that Israel would not respond to the message, to his message from God. If Ezekiel had a message from God, which he did, they wouldn't respond. If Israel responds, it wasn't God's message because God had said they will not respond to, this, to my message. God promised Ezekiel that from his conversion rate, that Ezekiel would be a dismal failure. And from that, Ezekiel should have, should, he should have not only been depressed, he should have been dis, dismally depressed, like me. And, and, and I think we should call anyone who gets discouraged from the conversion rate among the Jewish evangelism, Jewish evangelism, as suffering from the Ezekiel depression syndrome. <laughs> and, and I've suffered from the Ezekiel depression syndrome because of the low conversion rate. And anyone who's worked in Jewish evangelism has suffered from the Ezekiel depression syndrome because of the low conversion rate. So I ask you, why do this? Why do Jewish evangelism? You know, there's a, there's a, a Baptist church we visited several times. They have so many conversions among the Mexican people there that they wrote one time in their, their letter, their newsletter, it only costs $1 per soul for Mexican people to get saved. That's what they said. It only costs $1 per soul. Now, when I read that, I read $1 per soul. Wow. Now, let's see how much it costs Israel restoration for a Jewish soul to get saved. It doesn't cost $1 per soul. It costs $1 million per soul, $1 to $3 million per soul. Now, I'm a businessman, and I'm focused on ROI, return on investment. So let's see. If it costs $1 per soul in Mexico to get somebody saved, and $1 to $3 million to get a Jewish person saved, which one is the better return on investment? Mexican evangelism or Jewish evangelism? So I ask the question, why, again, why does Jewish evangelism make sense? Why does it make sense? It could be like Bernie Sanders. It makes no sense. What's wrong with us? What's wrong with us? Why don't we just listen to the other Sanders, Gabriel Sanders, from the Orthodox Temple, who says that our conversion rate among the Jewish people is a dismal failure? Why do we keep trying to convert Jews when it is such a dismal failure? If the conversion rate among Jews is such a dismal failure, as Mr. Gabriel Sanders says, why do we continue? Why not just give up? Give up, give up. Why do we continue? Why do we continue to, to, to beat our heads against the wall and to suffer this Ezekiel depression syndrome? And maybe some of you are saying, I don't know, I think I'm gonna walk out right now. Because the question is going to be answered in the Bible. 
The question is going to be answered in the Bible. It seems like such a waste of time to evangelize the Jews. Why should we do it? And the answer to that of why do a Jewish evangelist is simply that God wants to solve the greatest problem that the world has. And God has set the Jews as a vital part of solving that problem. If you would ask people today, what's the greatest problem that man faces? The greatest problem that man faces. Many people would say, well, that's easy. The greatest problem that man faces is world peace. If we can just bring peace to the Middle East, if the great deal maker can make the deal in, in uh, Donald Trump in, in the Middle East and in the Korean Peninsula and all the world and we had peace, that would solve man's greatest problem. But world peace is not man's greatest problem. And others would say, well, no, I know what it is. It's poverty and hungry. If we can hunger, if we can just find a way to bring everyone out of poverty, to make sure everyone has enough food, that will solve the world's greatest problem. But eliminating poverty, eliminating hunger is not man's greatest problem. Others would say, no, the greatest problem that man has is that he's destroying the environment. This global warming, it's pollution of the oceans and of the air and it's extinction of species and, and, and if we could just find a way just not to destroy the environment but to live in harmony with nature, not destroy nature, that would solve man's greatest problem, but that's not. Eliminating pollution and living in harmony with nature is not man's greatest problem. Others would say it's social disease. It's social disease that causes this violence like, like all these killings that happened down there in Santa Fe High in Texas, all that violence, all this, this discord. If we just find a way for everyone to be happy with themselves and with each other, that would solve man's greatest problem. But no, that's not man's greatest problem. Others would say that man's greatest problem comes from himself that causes him not to like himself and, and wish that he was somebody else and hate those who don't like him. We can just find a way for man to be happy with himself, be content, and have self-esteem. But that's not. That's not man's greatest problem either. All of these problems are not man's greatest problem. Man's greatest problem stems from the greatest tragedy that happened to man, and that tragedy it was very simply put in Genesis 3, verse 6. In Genesis 3, verse 6, where, where when man fell into sin through one act of disobedience to God described in, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. One act, one act with that one act where God said, don't do it, don't do it. And the devil said, oh, but instead of God, you can become as gods. Instead of God, you can know good and evil. Instead of God, you can be wise. And with that one act, all of mankind acquired at that time his greatest problem, a sinful nature. When man's first parents, when our first parents fell into that desperate state of sin. The greatest problem of sin was passed on to every person who's been born from a man and a woman. And the consequences of that is vast and it's ongoing. Man's greatest problem is what the Bible calls the wages of sin in, in Romans 6.23. The Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death is death. Ezekiel 18.20, Ezekiel 18.20 says, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. That's true. 
There are no exceptions to those consequences. Sin must be judged and judgment is death. Man's greatest problem is that he's on death row. That's man's greatest problem. And he's heading for what the Bible calls the second death or hell, which is described in Revelation 20 verse 14. Revelation 20 verse 14 says, death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. That's the second death. Man's greatest problem is that he is going right down the middle of the road to a place that wasn't even created for him. It was created for the devil and his angels. He's heading down that road to be suffering with them, with the devil and the demons. That's man's greatest problem. Man's greatest problem is that he will be forever separated from God. Like it says in Matthew 25, 41, Matthew 25, 41, then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, depart from me, ye cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. That's man's greatest problem. His sins, his sin, man's greatest problem is that his sins have made him to, be, to arrive in hell. And the arrival in hell is described as waking up, a waking up in hell. It's a place where it's described as eternal shame, eternal contempt by God in, in Daniel 12.2. Daniel 12.2. Many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake to shame and everlasting contempt. It is so terrible. It's continuing. It's never ending. The punishment never ends. It says in Matthew 25.46, Matthew 25.46, these shall go away into everlasting punishment. There's no such thing as purgatory. There's no such thing as a temporary place. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches in 2 Thessalonians 1.8, 2 Thessalonians 1.8, in flaming fire, place, hell is a place called flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. It is so horrible it is a place where sin, which is largely kept in restraint. What happened in Texas is where, where the inhibitions were thrown off, the, the, restraint, the restraint was thrown off, but hell is a place where that's all gone. All the inhibitions are gone. All the restraints are gone. And so what we see in Revelation 21.8, Revelation 20.8, is a blossoming of sin in a horrible place where it says, but the fearful and unbelieving, the abominable, murderers, whoremongers, sorcerers, idolaters, all liars, shall have their part in the lake of fire, which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. It's this continual suffering which is makes hell so horrible that the Lord spoke about in Matthew 13, 49. Matthew 13, 49, so shall it be at the end of the world. The angels shall come forth, sever the wicked from among the just, and shall cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. It's such a terrible place that the Lord Jesus said, knowing what that place was like, the Lord Jesus says, it's better for a person to lose a hand, to lose a foot, and to lose an eye rather than to be cast into hell. That's what he said in, in Mark 9, 43 passage. Mark 9, 43, he talked about it's better. It's better than to be cast into the fire which never shall be quenched, than to be, be in, the, in the place where the worm dieth not. These are his descriptions. It's better than, than that where there's gonna be a place of wailing and gnashing of teeth. It's all this repetition that the Lord Jesus did in those passages. It's repeating it because he's emphasizing, this is bad, this is really bad. This is man's greatest problem. 
And following a short time of existence on earth, then there is eternity. That's a real problem. That's a real problem that make all the other problems we talked about really nothing. Now, that problem of man being judged for eternity in hell for his sins is so horrible that God immediately flew into action. There's a hymn that we sometimes sing where where it says, he saw me plunged in deep distress and flew to my relief. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. The poor people of Loreto in Baja California have been hit hard by the COVID-19 virus shutdown, and they need food. Friendship with God is delivering food directly to their homes. Go to www.friendshipwithgod.org and look for the Loreto Need banner to donate or call 619 599 1104. God bless you.